little girls. <laughs> oh, you're going to have a blast. Because it's like a Christmas show. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of Christmas stuff in it. I can't. You have no idea the excitement that is coursing through my blood. Like, I can't also, wait. if you and I don't play Miss Hannigan and uh, Lo- Rooster, Rooster at some point, <laughs> I'm going to lose my Mind. No, but you have to. You would have to play. Um, who's the the girl who Bernadette played? Because you can do a great Bernadette. Lily Saint Regis. Oh, sweet. <laughs> you don't know what your Bernadette does to me. That really does something to me. <laughs> it, it like takes me to oh. another place. Like, <laughs> it, same here for myself. Oh God, no. We should. We should. Um. So, yes, I'm seeing Annie tonight. That's on the docket. Um, I don't know what he was calling me about because it's already, like, set in stone. But anyway, let's pivot us back. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Creep Time, the podcast. (laughs) Our cold opens are wild as shit. I'm going to say it. Like. <laughs> well, because they're, they're lukewarm opens, because we've already been gabbing for like a solid five minutes. Well, that's... <laughs> then we're like, oh, we should probably do the intro. Well, we are very happy to have you guys. We absolutely adore you. Um, thank you again to all of the response and all of the reception to the last episode, because people were loving it on Timothy Pitson. I saw a lot of comments on oh, TikTok, really? on YouTube. Yeah, they loved that case. Because again, another unsolved case that could really mm-hmm. use some answers at this point because it's been over a decade now. Over a decade. Yeah. There's certain cases that really, like, have stuck with me after we talk about them. And mm. that one for sure me too. has stuck with me for days since we recorded the podcast. Wait, what are the other the other episodes that have really, like, latched into your brain? Mine was 1046. Uh, Missy Beavers. Missy Beavers. 1046? Mm-hmm. Yes, 1046 really uh, stuck with me. Um because it's it's the ones, I mean, I guess we cover, like, all Unsolved mostly, but, like, it's the ones where there's just, like, so much unexplained stuff and just, like, I think for me it's always the, like, mental, uh, like, game of it, which his mom had all these issues. The killer in 1046 mm-hmm. had a lot of issues. Like, like trying to get inside their head, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I think about um, Mara Murray. Murray. Yeah. Yeah. I think about Mara a lot, and I'm like, I, I just want to know, like, what was going through her mind. But also, we were talking about this, because um, somebody had brought this up either on YouTube or TikTok. I'm so sorry if I don't remember your name, but thank you for bringing this up, because we talked about the um, the rag in the, the tailpipe of the car, which her dad uh-huh. said that in the past he had told her to do that, apparently, so I think it was dispelled. However, somebody brought that up, and they were like, you know that that's, like, a common way that cars get, like tagged and I was like what do you mean tagged and they were like yeah they were like it's like a trafficking thing like if a a young woman is spotted alone like traveling alone like on a road trip and she stops for gas someone will spot her and like tag her car and like put like a rag in the tailpipe so when she drives off they call ahead you know early 2000s no cell phones and they're like there's going to be a girl who's coming up like interstate 120 or like 94 north and she's got a rag in her tailpipe like get her kind of thing when I heard that Instant chills. Full body it's chills. So heinous. I know. Oh. But that's, that's, I mean, there's reality to that too. I was like, that's not a bad theory because it is unexplained yeah. why there was a rag in her tailpipe. Yeah. I can't even imagine that like she would do that. Cause like when would, when would she have done that? I know this is not the Mara Murray episode, but I just wanted to talk about it for a minute. Like, Yeah. Well, I- would you put it in... Okay, why would somebody put a rag in the tailpipe to, like, stop the... Like, if you're in an enclosed space to stop, like, 
from asphyxiation or something? No, well, I apparently, so this is like a, what her dad said, I think, was that he was always taught that that was a good thing to do if your car, if you were having car troubles. It's unclear why he thought that, and obviously okay. it's inaccurate, but he said, like, that's yeah. something I had told Mara to do, like, in the past. Um, so everyone thought, like, oh, if Mara ran into car trouble, she just, like, put a rag in the tailpipe herself. But yeah. I can't imagine when she would have done, because, like, she crashed her car. It wasn't because her car was having trouble. She crashed the car. So, like, she doesn't come out, like, come out of her car and immediately just, like, stuff a rag at the tailpipe. Or does she? I mean, I don't know. The whole thing was confusing and odd. Very weird. But at least we can share with our audience, like, be uh, have your wits about you. I, I had no idea that was a thing. I, I didn't either. I had no idea. Um, I do think that we're going to do a follow-up episode on Mara one day, too. I have a lot of faith that that case could see a solve one day. Yeah, yeah. I hope yeah. all these get follow-ups. I do, too. I do, too. But with that... Creepers, we are going to do something a little bit different today. I'm very excited because we never do this. We never do like paranormal, um, unexplained, like phenomenon type cases. And that is exactly what this is. We are covering the Valley of the Headless Men, which had you ever heard of? No. I hadn't either. Why? Like, well, did you hear about it from me when I was like, we have to do this? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and I didn't Google it because I was like, I'm going to blind react. I'm not going to look up anything. (laughs) I am and, so I'm so surprised like, you're blind reacting. I did not expect that. I know, <laughs> like, I know, I know. But I was like, I feel like for the first paranormal episode, I want it to be just like really like freaking weird. Oh my god. <laughs> well, okay, so I maybe I shouldn't say that it's paranormal, but I don't really know how to define this one because the Valley of the Headless Men um refers to a specific location in Canada where there have been a, it's very like Bermuda Triangle type thing. Like there's really something dark going on there. And nobody knows why. So I don't know if we would say that that's like paranormal or like that's why I was saying like maybe natural phenomenon or like E.T. Yeah, like supernatural. Some kind of supernatural maybe. Um, But there is a lot of like dark evidence to support this. And the history behind it is really interesting. I was listening on Crime Hub and I listened through on the whole episode on this and I was like, oh, I have to tell Stu about the Valley of the Headless Men. (laughs) So I'm going to jump right into the story. Before I do, I just want to give a big thank you to all of the creepers who are continuing to share the podcast with their family and friends, because I got a message from, I think it was from uh, a mother, and she said that her daughter introduced her to Creep Time, the podcast, and she was commenting, and it made me so happy. I'm going to have to get her name. Hold on. Stall for a minute. I'll get your name so I can give you a shout out because that made us so happy. You have no idea. Yes. Well, I feel like you, you've you thanked, but I, I don't know if I've thanked. Creepers, thank you so, so much. It's so fun to be able to like also interact with I know. them so much. I feel like creepers are really interactive, which I just love. They are. No, they comment. They suggest. They're super yeah. ingrained in these cases. And I keep doing polls saying like, what's the next case you want us to cover? And you know what the number one is they always choose? Which I'm going to blind react to because I don't know shit about it. Zodiac. Yes, Zodiac. Zodiac. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I will do, we'll do a reverse ep and I will do, I already have so much research on the Zodiac. It's my favorite. Oh my God. Okay, let's see. I'm going to, I think it was on the Boy in the Box episode. I cannot wait for the Zodiac episode, by the way, because I I don't even have like a top line of what, I don't know anything about it. That is so baffling to me. Oh my gosh. You will lose your mind. You think so? Is there yes. any case that it's comparable to in terms of like, could you compare it like apples to apples, like in terms of how a killer went, like the method- methodology, I guess, of like how they went about serial killing? I mean, 
I know there are a ton of famous serial killers that, like, left little breadcrumbs for law enforcement, um, and that's all I'll say. Hmm, okay. I like that you're keeping it, um, I like that you're keeping it hush-hush for me. You're keeping it hit, protected. Yeah, because <laughs> if I tell you more about that, like, it's the whole thing. Okay, <laughs> so. okay I'll respect that for sure. <laughs> Oh, okay. Her name is Tina. Tina. Sorry, it took me a minute to find your name because you had commented, I think, on, like, the main Creep Time channel. Um, Let's see. Yeah, Tina3895. Thank you so much. Again, appreciate the outreach. Appreciate hearing that your daughter turned you on to Creep Time, the podcast. We absolutely love that. So if you are listening and you want to share Creep Time with your friends and family, please do so. Do it with a coworker or a boss if you'd like, although we caution maybe maybe approach that gently. (laughs) Internal investigation. Oh, and with that, should I just throw you on your ass and get into the Headless Valley? Throw me on my oh. Headless ass. Oh, baby, you're going to get chills. All right, let's go. So, the Valley of the Headless Men. And the second I just read that title, I already got the chills. So, so did I. We're there. We're there. So did I. Now, okay, let me give you some context about where this actually is. I know I mentioned it's in Canada. Geographically, the valley is located in the northwestern territories of Canada, Surrounded by dense forests, sharp peaks of rocks and mountains, there are waterfalls, and there's the Nahani River, which, according to the research that I was reading, at certain points in this river, it runs more than a thousand feet deep. Is, isn't that nut? I'm trying to think what that's comparable to. That's like to. an ocean. I know. Because like, <laughs> I was like, I was thinking of like um, the quarries that we have, because I was like, those go really deep, but they don't go thousands of feet deep. They go like a couple hundred yeah. at most, which is a lot. Yeah. Now, Although this reservation is considered a national park as of today, it is not accommodating to tourists. One of the darkest tells of the forest is that if you go there, there are no cabins. There are no, like, overnight accommodations. There are no restaurants or museums. Anything that you would see in, like, the Sequoia National Forest or something like that. It is intentionally untouched and unoccupied, specifically after dark. And I'm going to tell you why. So... There are legends of this place that it is, like, rich with gold. There are gold resources within the valley that have long attracted exploration throughout the 20th century and gold strikes that were described as, like, nothing else seen on Earth. But the eerie reputation of what happens in these woods after dark is often what keeps people away. Now, there's no confirmed record that I could find um, of just how many people have been found decapitated in these woods, um, but what we know is that all of these deaths and these, these decapitations, the Valley of the Headless Men, had started very, very early in the 20th century, if not the late 1800s. Many of the bodies were found within the Nahani Valley in Canada, decapitated and often posed and placed in extremely visible locations for a morbid display. And for those who have explored the Nahani Valley and have actually come back, like left the woods, they've described the forest as like, like nothing else they've ever encountered. There's kind of like a life to the woods. Like there's something very deeply chilling and off-putting about walking through the area and you feel like a sense of like you're being watched, you know, like something's moving with you as you move through the woods. And the forest is described in books as very uncomfortable and a deeply, deeply unsettling place at all times. Now, historically, there are indigenous tribes that have tried to settle there um there is one that is like native to that area the the nahani people um 
but all other tribes who have tried to like settle around there in the past have either been chased out through these mysterious deaths or they've gone missing completely. Entire tribes disappear. So the legend has it that there are things that live within these woods that are not known to man. So I'm going to explore some of the history around the most chilling deaths within the Nahani Valley, but any thoughts on that right off the bat? <laughs> I just have to say, I'm so thrilled that we're doing this kind of case. Like, I know. I, it's such a twist. It's such a different vibe, and I'm loving it. Um, maybe it's just because I'm hot off of seeing Into the Woods live. <laughs> oh, wait, you did? <laughs> Last weekend? Oh, my God. I did. Yeah, but I'm like, yes. Like, <laughs> No, but this is, I, there's, um, I've always actually kind of been really fascinated by woods mm-hmm. and like just the thought of like getting lost in woods actually like always freaked me out mm-hmm. when I was little and um I don't know things like the Blair Witch Project yeah. or like stuff like that has always really like made me feel eerie or like cabin in the woods or like yeah, that yeah, yeah. stuff so why is that why um, are woods so that... so sinister though did you grow up behind woods is that why I I mean, I we always had, like, pretty hefty woods, like, in our backyards, mm-hmm. but, like, they ended eventually, and, like, you know, you probably couldn't get totally lost, but I think that that's what's really scary about woods, is that they're dense, mm-hmm. and you can get lost, and... There's no immediate way out. coming yeah. around the corner. Yeah, so... I, I agree. There's no way to cry for help. I think... I think I had a lot of... No- we grew up behind woods growing up, and we, um, we had, um, we had a lot of, like nightmares as kids about the woods and I would have this like repeat nightmare that I would it was one of those dreams where you wake up and like you're in your room and I would wake up in my bedroom but I would hear something outside from the second floor and I would go to the window and I would look to the woods in our backyard and I would see a man standing in the woods holding a green lantern just moaning in the distance but like walking towards the house this was such a bad nightmare. For, I know, such a bad nightmare for me, like, growing up. <laughs> but I never knew why I had that, like, why I had this fixation on the woods being, like, like an omen. Like, it's a bad place. Like, bad things come out of the woods. Yeah. Well, I think it's also that things take, um, I guess it would be that there's normal objects, like trees and sticks and stuff like that. But just with the right amount of fear in you, things start to like shift and like become things seem not as they are. Yes. So I think it's really like, it's interesting because like your mind starts to play tricks on you in woods. It does. It absolutely does. I also think it's interesting that a lot of people like personify the woods as like a living thing. Mm -hmm. The same way that they do the ocean. They always say Mm -hmm. the ocean always gives back what she takes kind of thing. I think Mm -hmm. people think of the woods in that way as well. Like it's a, it's like a living, breathing thing. That's at least how I think Mm -hmm. people think of the Nahani Valley. But mm-hmm. when I get into some of the deaths of, like, what went on in these these woods historically, you're going to freak. It's it's really, really disturbing, actually. Oh, my gosh. So let's start with the first story. I just wanted to go back as far as I possibly could into the history to tell you, like, okay, when did this all begin? Because the people who were kind of native and, like, are local, I should say, to, like, the northwestern territories of Canada, they knew about the Nahani Valley, but it was known as, like, sacred ground haunted ground but nobody else in the early 1900s knew about that like they just thought it was a desolate place so the first story that i was going to fixate on was willie and frank mcleod so this was a team of brothers who were prospectors during the gold rush era and they had heard these legends of this untapped resource 
within the Northwestern Territories of Canada. And although, like I said, the lore of the Nahanni Valley, it was not widely known at the time uh, as a haunted ground to everyone outside of this area of Canada, they just thought of it as like, oh, this is an isolated and desolate forest, and this is a perfect place where like prospectors can go and they can strike gold, and they would do so without any kind of competition, right? Because it's very hard to get to. There's no trail into it. You kind of have to go directly up the river if you want to get in. Mm-hmm. Now, those, like I said, those who lived in the northwestern area of Canada, they only knew of the location as a haunted place, but that was kind of lore that was passed down. There were no serious recorded deaths at the time, maybe like rumblings of tribes that had gone missing that had never been found. So without this knowledge, they take the risk and they ventured into the Nahani Valley alone. So by 1908, both of the brothers, they start to travel up the river and they're moving with them. They've got supplies, they've got maps, they've got this huge detailed plan of how they're going to strike gold. And then they just sort of seemingly vanish. Like nobody ever heard from them again for like two more years. So by 1910, the rumors had circulated that because the, the two brothers, the prospectors had gone up and they were gone for so long, nobody thought that something bad happened to them. They actually thought they were like, oh, well, if no one's heard from them, it's because they probably struck a massive like mother load of mm-hmm. gold and they don't want to tell anybody. So this has the counter effect and then it starts bringing people in because they're like, well, we're going we're gonna to get in on that gold. So by 1910, another group made their way up the Nahani River and they're headed to the same exact location that they knew those brothers went. So as they're moving up the river, up the white waters, they spot something in the distance on the shore. And it's two strange figures. So they pulled a bit closer to the shore of the forest and they get a better look. And it appeared to be two human bodies, still clothed, filthy, extreme decay. And both had been brutally decapitated. And they were posed, sitting up, facing the river. So what really chilled them was that the decapitations were not normal. You know, like beheadings were... It's not that they were common, but, like, I think most people knew that they were done with a type of weapon. That's not what Mm -hmm. this looked like. It it wasn't, like, a clean cut, like, their heads were ripped off by a blade or by a knife or an axe. It was as if they were, they were, like, roughly ripped off. Like, they were ripped off with force. And they just Mm -hmm. just couldn't piece together, like, what could have done that? Who could have done that to them? And clearly, they assumed it had to have been people because they were sat up and posed without their heads. Now... The site was haunting, and although it could not immediately be confirmed by these people that the two corpses were those of the brothers, it was later settled that based on the clothing they were wearing, it was definitely them. And they just had no idea what happened to them, and they were placed in full view of the river, and those heads were never found. I would probably turn back. (laughs) I I might call it off. (laughs) There are other places to find gold. (laughs) How interesting that they are facing the river. It's almost like, mm-hmm. how dare you be here? How dare you, like, not appreciate the land? Like, how dare you try to, like, take and pillage, I guess, something that's, like, native to this area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that was my first thought. I was like, it seems like a warning sign, right? Yeah. It's kind of like they're placed there in full view of the river because they're, it's, like, facing other people who are coming in. Oh, my God. Are yeah. you chilly? No, sorry. You did- <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want it to like muffle ASMR. It, you know, it gave me, it gave me tingles just now. I was like, are you putting on a jacket? 
I think it's because I got chills with you telling me the story, so I had to put on my jacket. Fair enough. Fair enough, girl. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, so what happens after this? Because, like I said, I would have turned the f*** around. Like, I, can't, I can't handle that. So word would spread, and the rumors of, like, other strange deaths that were in the valley, they kind of, you know, they kind of reach outside of the northwestern area of Canada. And there's also these reports at the time of people seeing mysterious figures lurking through the woods. All of this circulates back, but it's quickly dwarfed by these sensational stories that it was possible, everyone was like, oh, there couldn't be anything, like, sinister with their deaths. They're like, the brothers were probably killed by other prospectors who came in, found this mother load of gold, and they killed them because they were like, we want it all for ourselves. So they just took those brothers out. So it has this counter effect, and it attracts more people into the Nahani Valley, up the river, and these men's dude, they came in droves. Like, they're hiking up through the valley, they're coming up through the river, they're bringing all the supplies, but with more entering the forest, even fewer would leave. Now, the next major recorded sighting um, that I was able to find in the books, let's see, it was placed about a decade, or I think a little bit less than a decade after the McLeod discovery. So this is Prospector Martin Jorgensen. So he made his way into the valley on a hunch. He was like, I believe there is a gold strike in this valley that is unlike anything else in North America. So there were these distant records at the time, like I said, of the Nahani people. This was like the only known indigenous tribe that lived just outside of the valley. Um, But no one ever saw them. They were kind of uh, notoriously elusive um, and they avoided outsiders out of fear, but they were not a violent people that should be noted. Nonetheless, Martin comes in anyway And he travels up the river. Same thing. But he floated so much more supplies because he intended, he really believed in this this gold strike, that he would be there for years. So he brings enough supplies basically to build like um, a full cabin. So that's what he does. He spent a long spring building a cabin. He was digging for gold. He was fishing. He was hunting, using the resources of the land. And... Then I think based on a series of letters that were recovered, he had written to, like, um, I think his family and his confidants, and he said that he found a gold strike there in that valley, like nothing he had ever seen before in his lifetime. So at one point, those letters just completely stopped, and nobody knew why. Now, concerns grew from the family for the same reason as the brothers, thinking that, like, oh, my God, he found all of this gold. Maybe other prospectors got to him, or maybe he got lost in those woods, but... What they're able to do, like the relatives, um, they're able to organize, I think, a search party with enough locals who were local to like the western, uh, northwestern part of Canada to go up the river and try to find him. So they travel up the river into the valley where they immediately spot his campsite near the shore burned to the ground. Now, they go into the charred ruins of the campsite and they're searching where they do eventually find his remains. And just like the McLeod brothers, his head had been brutally ripped off. And they never found it. Come on. Come on, Mike. Okay, question. When you say ripped off. Yes. This was not a clean cut. Not at all. This was not a. No. Ripped by force. That was the thing that was noted is that all of the decapitations were extremely rough. They were not done with weapons like axes, knives. It was like something that had enough force to grab a head and pull it off a body, did that. That's what was odd. And the heads are never found. insane. Yeah. So his, I think, is the third high-profile death that's followed here 
And then it's around this time, yeah, after this murder, the for- okay, so the, I think the local cultural perception of the forest had changed drastically. It's no longer just haunted ground. It feels a little different. Like it's, um, it's like a cursed land at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And this is kind mm-hmm. of marked in different writings. Expeditions from prospectors began to halt. Uh, and those who were familiar with the legends started to name different landmarks within the creeks um, and the rock formations with these very dark, sinister names like Headless Creek, right? And like Funeral Range and the reputation of the forest. It was no longer this beacon of hope to other prospectors, you know, for riches, but it was a grim place where something was going on in those woods. But of course, money is a very powerful thing. So there were still people who were after the legends of the gold. Because if you remember, he said that he found a gold strike there like nothing he'd ever seen in his lifetime. However, when they went to find him and they did find his charred body, they never found any of the gold strike that he was talking about. But word of this travels back. So prospectors still do come it's just a little bit different now. They're taking shorter trips, they're going with larger groups to protect themselves, and they're going during the daytime only. Now, this is also when things, I think, shifted with um, different explorers and geologists who were now going into the valley, not for gold by, like, the 30s and 40s, but they're going in to understand, like, some of the dark history behind it and figure out why these things are happening, what's out there that's doing this to to these men. And... They all kind of say the same thing in some of these early writings about, you know, the geologists who went in. They say that there's something about the way the wind kind of moves through the trees that just makes the whole place feel like it's alive. It's like the sounds you hear in the woods at at night and like this unshakable feeling that you can't be there after sundown. Like something's watching you and waiting until sundown. So one chilling story from geologist Frank Henderson that I wanted to bring up. So he visited the valley from the 1940s. Um, or actually, I think a couple of times in the 1940s, but he eventually would come back after one of his partners goes missing in those woods. And he was there with a small group, and they were camping overnight until they were woken up in the middle of the night. And it was a small group of the original Nahani tribe. And they woke them up, and they said, we came to you to try to warn you because we think you need to leave the forest as soon as sun comes up in the morning because there's something after you in these woods. And they said earlier that day, they spotted that they were being stalked by the river by pale, unnatural-looking creatures that were watching them from the woods and had been moving quickly through the forest all day. So the group is spooked, and they stay up that night, and they start recording their experience of, of the final night before sun comes up, and they would all write the same thing, saying that there was this like distinct um, sound coming through the woods and coming through the trees, almost like a shrieking, like something screaming through the woods. And these experiences, once they reached writing, they only pushed the legends of the valley even further, and they soon started to attract even more people, like writers and people who were willing to explore the valley for more of, like, the sinister reasons. People like us who would go there and and put a mic up in the middle of the forest. (laughs) And um, specifically, people wanted to know more about the pale, unnatural-looking creatures because that... That really became the sensationalized story, like whatever those things were that roamed the land. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, also that they're geologists, like they're scientists, so mm-hmm. you'd expect them to take a very like matter of fact, hype, you know, hypothesis kind of approach. Yeah, they're gonna very level headed, like sensationalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the fact that they were even kind of susceptible to the 
feeling yeah. and, and that, that was their general takeaway is really um, interesting. Well, this is only a sliver of, I think, the first mention of the pale, unnatural looking creatures because there would be like countless sightings of these things that come. And I'm not sure how I feel about that because, okay, when I first read this, again, I tried to take a rational approach and I was like, could this be a situation kind of like The Village? Did you ever watch The Village with Bryce Dallas Howard? She was like 18. Mm-mm. No? Can I spoil it for you? <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, basically in The Village, they're kind of like, I would liken them to like an Amish community. And they're all kept inside of like their territory, their land. Um, because at nighttime or certain times of the day, the creatures from the woods come out. But it would turn out that those were like people of the village, like men of the village mm-hmm. would like dress up as these creatures. And it was like a method of fear and control to like keep everybody on the inside from the outside world. So I thought to myself, I was like, could this be people from like the, the Nahani tribe who would dress up as these things, these pale unnatural yeah. creatures who were kind of keeping outsiders like at bay. But there are just too many reports and too many, like, specific... I think at some point, like, you would be able to recognize whether or not that was a costume or not, or, like, too many reports of people saying, like, these things do not look human, whatever they saw. Right. And, like, gosh, the costumes for back then would have to be really good yeah, I, to, I would... to make people think that they, they were real. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I think in the village what they used were, like... They basically use, like, dead animal heads as masks, and they, Mm, like, put themselves mm -hmm. in cloaks um, to kind of mask it. But, yeah, I I can't imagine that, like, I haven't found any writing on anybody suggesting that the Nahani people are behind this, because they're not considered violent people or confrontational people. I mean, they came to this group to warn them. They were like, we're fearful for you, because we know what these things are. We've witnessed them, and we've witnessed what they do. So the question is, what, what are those things? Were the Nahani people familiar with them and, like, kind of knew not to mess with them? Like, that's what they're trying to communicate? Yes. Like, we know what these things are. Exactly. Like, we have experience. Don't. Okay. Yeah. Because they told them, they were like, we think you have to leave. They were like, but do not leave now. You have to leave as soon as the sun is up, they said. Wait until okay. the sun is high enough. Which freaked me the f*** out listening to this. I was yeah. like, oh, my God. <laughs> Again, Crime Hub. They really do it for me. Um, so let's see. So the group stayed that night. They recorded their experience until sun up. And like I said, the experiences of all of this, everything that reached writing, it pushed the, the lore of the valley even further and the interest in these unnatural looking creatures. And throughout this time, like I said, there were a lot of writings of firsthand accounts of other people who had gone into the valley to explore. They described similar feelings and similar experiences of hearing the shrieking and the winds and the, like throughout the woods. And they also described this fog. So it was like an unexplainable fog that would kind of come over the valley um, without warning at different parts during the day or like early in the night. And that's when they would witness the pale creatures kind of walk through the woods. The valley um, actually possessed even more of itself underneath itself. It was an elaborate cave system, we would later find out, um, that was discovered later on within this territory. And I think that turns us over to Jean Periel. He was a famed explorer at the time, and I think he had completed a total of four ventures only into the valley, which he was dead set on kind of navigating the underground cave system, which he suspected could be massive throughout the valley. Um, These cave systems are extremely narrow, as he would learn, like so narrow that to get through a lot of the passages, you have to 
get on your stomach and kind of like inch yourself between mm. like wedges. But he was he was an explorer. That's what he did. So he's doing this um, during his like four expeditions through there until he finds something unimaginable in the valley. So what he would discover, I think, in total, 200 caverns. But within, I think, one of the last ones that he found, he would wedge himself in, you know, do the army crawl, get inside of the cavern where he found more than 100 human skeletons no. placed in there without explanation. No, I was like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. There's human skeletons. Human skeletons. So he would actually, yeah, um, chilled, as you can imagine. <laughs> he retrieves um, some of these remains that I think were later brought back to a university and they were tested. And it turns out those bones were more than 4,000 years old with no explanation as to how more than 100 of them had not only crawled through that narrow passage, assuming it was like that for a very, very long time, or how they even died. And the cavern is now known as Valerie's Cavern, and very few dare to venture towards it today. The second I heard that, I was Whoa. like, this is ancient burial ground. This is something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is something else. 4,000 years old. Yeah. I was like, there's something there. <laughs> That's some, that is, okay, like, I know we always joke. We're like, it's spirit. That is spirit. <laughs> it can't get much more haunted than that, truly. That is old school spirit. <laughs> But Ooh, don't want to mess with that. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about like the mystery of the valley and why it feels especially strange after sundown. So many latched on to like this lore and they continue to explore the forest and they're strictly doing so um, during the day. This would go on for years. Anybody who goes back into the valley uh, because there continued to be these reports that would surface of like missing people all throughout like decades and decades. This goes on. And there was something else in 1946 I wanted to mention. There was another grisly discovery that was made by a group who I think was also traveling up the river. It's unclear why they were there, but I think at this point, it, none of it was for like the hidden riches of the valley. It was all to like learn about the lore, but they're traveling up the river and they found a sleeping bag on the shore. So they went over, they start prodding inside of the sleeping bag to see if somebody left like, you know, their belongings in there at the bottom of the sleeping bag were crumpled and crushed unidentified remains of a Canadian prospector whose body had been, like, wedged into the corner of that sleeping bag. And, of course, he is found without his head. Missing. <laughs> decade after decade, the reputation of this forest kind of persisted, and there were continued reports of missing people and the bodies that would turn up, um, and none of these heads were, had ever been found. And... What's odd to me is that, like, decades and decades after all of this started back in the early um, 20th century, the reports of the pale creatures still persist to this day. People still talk about sightings whenever they venture into the Nahani um, National Forest, because it is a national forest now. But there is something else that I wanted to talk about that's also strange about this place. So... What was unusual was that there's a certain sliver geographically of the Nahani Valley. They call it Funeral Range. And this specific area is known as a dropping point where there have been a staggering number of unexplained plane crashes into the valley. So this gave way to theories that, like, maybe this isn't quite paranormal. Maybe this is, like, like a, like a I don't know, natural phenomenon, like Bermuda Triangle, mm -hmm. geographic phenomenon. Um, there's something about these woods that, like, captures like takes you in kind of thing and doesn't give you back mm -hmm. 
Like that's that's the consensus. Um, but it only furthered like the lore and the mystery around this place and why it feels like sinister ground. But that's pretty much all that we know about the valley. I mean, I I wanted to keep it super top line so we'd have enough time to like talk about this. But yeah, what is your overall impression of that? Like, okay, I'm honestly, this is so crazy to me. There was this game that I know I've talked to you about before called Until Dawn. And it's basically this story. Oh. So I'm wondering if they took inspiration from it. Like, I'm, Maybe. do you mind if I Google it? Because do it. I'm as you Google were telling me, I was like... Um, it's a game? Oh, oh, it's like a... Um, it's like a video game. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I think I told you about it and we were giggling because it's like Hayden Panettiere... Oh yeah. No, you were inspiring me. Um, I was like, should I get a PS4? It's like, so it's super fun to play. Um, but they like go up to this cabin in the woods and there's these like creatures and there's like this whole lore of it being like a mining oh. town. Oh and there's these creatures that like get them. So I don't know if they took from this. Um Maybe. Hold on. But Maybe. Let's see. The Honey Valley. Or maybe if they did, they didn't quite mention their original inspiration, but I mean, I, this is like the creepers. I hope you enjoyed a very, that's a very like spooky episode for us. Like I know that's I, like, I have literal chills right now. I'm very, very like freaked. Do you think you could like, ever go into a place like that? Like, Would you ever do that? Well, I don't know. I mean, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> headless, headless okay. imposed. At the riverbank. I've thought about, so this is like totally different, but that forest that's in Japan where like people commit suicide a lot. And like, I think it is so crazy that that's a totally different thing. I think that that's like pretty, in my opinion. No, I thought of that too, though. People to go and do. But I would be lying if I said like there wasn't this just like, just insidious like interest in it for me like Mm -hmm. to go in and like I think that's just like human nature to like see if you'll like live to tell the tale sort of Um, places like that they have energy to them I don't know if it's energy that they possess or it's an energy because of like there's a focus from a lot of people on those places because I know exactly what you're talking about because I thought of that too while researching this I was like we pick these places and we build like lore and like legend behind them because dark things do happen there whether they happen by chance or something other. But when you go to those places, you feel you feel different. You feel an energy. I've experienced that with going to haunted places all the time. Yeah. And, but, but what really is so um, different about this one is the feeling of it being ancient and mm-hmm. the, like, people that were originally there the feeling that you're like taking from them like what is rightfully theirs yeah, sacred is, ground at least that's how i feel about it yeah it's like sacred ground yeah i i don't i don't think i could ever step foot in this place like well it's crazy because it is a national park so eventually canada yeah. canada protects this land they protect it and there's a lot of conspiracy on why they did this and why they didn't just leave it as like i don't know desolate territory um, but now that it's under Canadian possession, the majority of it is completely closed off from the public. And a lot of speculation has suggested that the Canadian government knows that there are dark things, unexplainable things that go down here. So they've kind of roped it off to keep it away from everybody else. Because I think you could technically still go 
like, I don't know, off map and like get into parts of it, but there are some parts that they have barricaded, like you cannot access. Why? That's so, well, I'm sure they don't want people like going into those caverns. Do you know if you can? Like, it, oh, I don't know. Public, you cannot, like, you could not just go there and, like, go into them. I mean, you could definitely, like, go onto the land, I guess, like, un, <laughs> like, unobserved and maybe go into them. I don't know if you'd ever come out. Yeah. Do they have, okay, when you say that there's those, I guess it's total four men that were found headless. Oh, no, there were, there were others. I think there were lots of strange deaths. Those were like the four that I fixated on because I think they're the most publicly known. Oh, yeah. So many people have gone missing. I heard some other story. It was either a man or a woman who was there on an expedition and they were found um, frozen, which was odd because like temperatures didn't typically drop to like freezing temperatures, but like the way they were positioned while they were frozen wasn't like, it wasn't like someone who was like extremely cold and they were like fighting for their life and they just like died of hypothermia it was like they were they were described as like frozen and like mid-action like they had like a hand out yeah it was it was very bizarre but like the thing just took you or no matter if you were ready or not yeah frozen it like their hand was open they were like sitting in a chair such an odd odd thing there's something very dark about this place so dark I would love to, like, see if um, the native group that's... Is it the Nahani people? The Nahani people, yeah. The originals. I would love it if, like, anybody's ever been able to interview them or learn more about, like, their history. Because I feel like they must have their own indigenous kind of, like, tales about this area they must be i think they're relatively uncontacted because i think they're protected in that way and maybe that's part of the reason why the canadian government has like roped a lot of this off and like kept them you know isolated because they choose not to be with outsiders but they're not a violent people and since they are protected there's really no reason for them i don't know to keep this up especially if it's not a place where like travelers come frequently anymore but i don't know i'd be yeah i'd be curious to hear if like if they have any stories, they must, they must, because they, they seem must. to know like what the pale, unnatural looking creatures were. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, if nothing else, I just want to know what they believe those things are. Like, are they animalistic? Are they human? Like, what are they? There are lots of theories that I was reading. I mean, they range, you can imagine, like, they range like all over the place. It's yeah. like they're paranormal, like they're ghosts. They're like ancient spirits. Some people are like they're extraterrestrial a lot of people have said that they're actually like um it's like a like a prehistoric type creature that has been like protected and like has survived in this one location for like thousands of years and they still continue to like exist and thrive like in the shadows of this this forest um yeah someone also there was also like a theory that like the park uh, is home to like a lot of like sleeping giants like Creatures, very large creatures that live beneath the surface. And that explains a lot of, like, the forceful ripping of the head. Like, what could be big enough and strong enough to Mm. decapitate a person Mm -hmm. from ripping a head off? Mm -hmm. Lots of of theories about what those things are and what goes down in this place. I don't know. So creepy. Yeah. I knew this one was going to freak you out. I knew it. I'm (laughs) creepy. 
I because I really so so every time we come off of the podcast, normally it's like okay, that was super sinister and awful, but, like, I'm so far removed from it. And it's not that I am close to the Nahant Valley, (laughs) but it's, like, it's, like, it's not, I can't really, like, shake it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's that, like, there's things out there everywhere, sort of, that feeling. Yeah, it's, like, a feeling, Watching. it's, like, nightmare land, but you know that it exists in the world that you live in, is the feeling. Yeah, yeah, I. Yeah, I can't explain why I feel like a little bit closer to it. It's like one of those irrational thoughts where you're like, I feel like I'm going to find myself in a situation where I'm there one day. I don't know why. Totally. (laughs) I think about it all the time when I go to the park here, which Mm -hmm. is like deep in a valley. And it's just like once you get in there, I don't know who's in there too. Like Mm -hmm. that's the thing about woods. Once you're in, there's no like telling what you're going to find just because – I don't know. It's just... I think you're onto something with that, though. The woods are interesting because it's like... It is a place where there are so many things that are hidden in plain sight, but there are no places to hide, if that makes sense. Like, there is this feeling that something is always lurking or watching you that you can't see, but if you had to escape, there's no exit and there's no place to hide. It's that vulnerable feeling. That's the woods. Yes. And it's very much like you... Okay, like, let's think about when you go into, this is a really silly example, but, like, a public space, like a mall, or mm-hmm. if you were to see something weird, most everybody around you is seeing it, too, even if you're not saying something to somebody, but there would probably be a chance that, like, in passing, you might be like, don't go in there, or, like, something's mm-hmm. weird, or yeah. whatever. The woods are, like, not only is there a chance you're not going to see the weird thing, but there's nobody to really like communicate to it about to it about in real time. And you kind of just like leave never knowing if like you were truly safe the whole time or like if there's things that are still in there. Like it's just oh, weird. You just gave me chills. <laughs> I hate that. No, you just gave me <laughs> No, because that's true. Yeah. You leave you leave with the unknown of like, was that real what I just saw? What I just experienced? Yeah. Like, was there some truth to like what I saw in the darkness of the forest or like what I heard in the mm-hmm. woods? I, I have a great fascination with, like, Sasquatch and Bigfoot. I got on a huge kick about yeah. this. But I also got, this, like, brought me down a rabbit hole, like, going through my Sasquatch research into, like, the mystery of national parks, not even just in, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the U.S., but, like, all throughout North America. There is There are countless cases of missing people, and... There, this is okay. This is a <laughs> this is a story for another podcast. But there is a huge, huge conspiracy, and I think there's some evidence to back up this conspiracy that in North America, there is a very vast underground cave system, a tunnel system that was like both naturally forming, but also extended like hundreds of years ago. And there are reports that there is a whole underbelly of feral humans who live beneath North America, and they take people from national parks there's i think it's called um missing 411 is like the huge like investigative project on like all of the missing cases that have happened in national parks where like bones were never found like no remains were found clothing or anything people seem to just vanish in these places or they go they like accidentally find themselves going through like a cave that takes them into like an underground tunnel and they like keep traveling through it and they end up on the opposite side of a park. Like strange occurrences like that. I almost wonder sometimes if I'm 
trying to piece together, like, some far-fetched but, like, possibly logical explanation for the pale, unnatural-looking creatures. I'm like, feral humans that live underground? Pale humans? (sighs) That's some, like, like, the hills have eyes kind of stuff. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that that has... Oh, my... That's, like... um, Gosh, what am I thinking of that it reminds me of? Um... The Hills Have Eyes is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Like, it's so terrifying. Well, just any sort of like, oh, you know, well, this is not the same thing. (laughs) What did I just see that kind of has that same context? Um, The uh, Jordan Peele movie where it's like there's a double, there's your doppelganger version of you sort of. Um, What the heck is that movie called? Us. 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 (laughs) Us. Um, And yeah, just that there's another... I don't know because I think wow we're really going off here because I, know. I think about all the time <laughs> that like so I I truly believe in my soul that there are other universes just like ours mm-hmm. where there's other whether they're human or whatnot there's other like races and societies and whatever that exists beyond us mm-hmm. I fully believe that um, but if I believe that like shouldn't I also believe that like there's a possibility that like on this planet in this universe there's like other things that could possibly exist out there like oh yeah I mean it's the yeah. same it's the same concept as like we isn't there a percentage of like how much of the earth we've actually explored I mean if you're not counting yeah. the oceans because we truly have explored like 10% of all oceans I think like how deep they can yeah. actually go and like what lurks like towards the actual center of the earth. But yeah, it's not, I don't think it's off the table to think that like there can be things, other creatures or even beings that are like hidden in plain sight within like on land, like in underground cave systems and tunnels. And I, I mean, whether it's, it's, it's tangible, like they are things or people that exist within the Hani Valley, or there is something paranormal there. Cause I do, Mm -hmm. I also do get a sense that there is, I don't know, the second, Ancient burial grounds, sacred land. I yeah. start to go, I'm like, there's there's spirit there. If there's spirit anywhere, it's Absolutely. there. Like, so Absolutely. I don't know. I just wonder about like what the energy of that place must feel like. Like what it must feel like to just walk, oh my God, like to be on that river, the sinister feeling of like traveling up the white waters into the Nahani yeah. Valley. If you, okay, so if you if you're going up the river, I watched a video of this. They, there are caves, the cave systems, like rock formations, they kind of like arch over you basically they're huge like hundreds of feet up like huge like you're really tiny and at the top of like the rock formations are like cave openings almost like a place where like things could perch and watch you which people have Mm -hmm. described that's a feeling as you're coming in you feel like you're being watched from above like by things that are like looking at you from over the caves that are hundreds of feet above you it's a dark place so creepy the valley of the headless man the Valley of the Headless Men. Oh. And what's nuts is, like, with all of this lore of, like, the gold riches there, nobody's ever found gold. Even that guy who explored 200 cave systems there, they've never found the gold strike people were talking about. Well, security's on lock with these <laughs> creatures. <laughs> I was like, damn. I was like, gold is down in the market, baby. You don't have to be that precious. <laughs> <laughs> just going to ask you oh I know what I was going to say that um there's something that so I I don't know you know talking about some creature and whatever it's all 
we don't know if any of those things actually exist, but Native American people and, like, Native tribes, I feel like, just have such a different ability to, like, tap into energy and, like, tap into things that, like, modern society has either just, like, forgotten how to do or, like, thinks it's a hoax or thinks is like I, I believe that that people that are from native lands there is a connection of like energy to that land and that, like a language almost that, yeah like, they can speak that we can't well it's interesting too because a lot of indigenous tribes they have like like you kind of tapped like touched on their own lore about different creatures that exist and I got really fascinated with um oh god I'm gonna forget what they're called I became really fascinated with um these uh, stories that came from a lot of different uh, indigenous tribes in the U.S. Um, of these two-legged pale creatures. I don't know if it's connected to these pale creatures, but I mm-hmm. used to do so much research on this. Oh, they're called night crawlers. They call them night crawlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Stu, if you look up videos, because like people have claimed like you'll see like, no, you'll see like garage camera videos. And like, I know there are a lot of things that can be like, faked but like some of these videos have actually gone through like analysis of people who like work in like visual effects and they're like this is not something that you can like easily fake but like the visual of them it matches i know i sound wild right now but like the visual of them i'm 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 giggling (laughs) because i'm so freaked out right now because the sun (laughs) has gone down this happens every episode creepers where at the end of the episode i'm on the east coast and it's pitch black in my apartment and I've not turned on any lights because I had natural light all day and now you're sitting in here telling me about night crawlers and I'm looking around my apartment's pitch black. Pitch pitch Watching black. you descend into the darkness of your apartment is always it's always fun as I'm getting into like the meat of these stories of like I pray for her. But what's interesting the reason people connected these creatures, these night crawlers back to these indigenous stories was because the stories led to actual like wood carvings of these creatures, which look exactly mm-hmm. like the ones that are caught on camera. I just, I, I don't know if there's something I want to believe about, like, I think I would be more prone to believe that than I would even Sasquatch, to be honest, because I, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's just kind of unexplained, like what those things are and the way that they move on camera also would be like incredibly difficult, I think, to fake. You know, if it was like a practical yeah. special effect, it would look extremely unnatural, unanimal like. Like the human eye can spot like what moves like a living animal and what's even what's like an yeah. animatronic, you know? You can tell. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's off the table to assume that like something similar to that, because the lore, the indigenous lore of that refers to these as like spiritual creatures that only come out yeah. at night. They don't come out during the day. I don't know if there's a connection, but maybe. Creepers, should we revisit this later on? Maybe we should. We'll do our next episode from the Nahani Valley. I was going to say, eventually, when we start to go to these places. Oh, no. You and I have to take a hike through the Nahani Valley. (laughs) Stu, I can't. I'm way too scared for this. I can't do that. (laughs) You are so funny because, like, I would go do that in five seconds, and you were like, I can't. But you stay up till four in the morning making. TikToks, I know. just scaring the absolute shit out of yourself from the from the comfort the comfort of my my space. I, know, I mean, I know, you baby. could get me on the Queen Mary, maybe I'll go on the Queen Mary for a day trip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would love to. We could do that. It's in Long Beach, I think. It's in it's in SoCal. Let's do it whenever you come to visit. 
and creepers. We have we have many places that we have to hit up. Just in SoCal alone. Like anytime you come to visit LA, yeah. I could t- we're going to go to the Cecil Hotel. You know that, right? That's that's number 1. We mm-hmm. have to go to the Cecil. I'll book us a room. I'll book us a room. So will I. I think it's I don't know if they're still calling it the Cecil Hotel. They've definitely changed the name like four times over, but you know what went on there. You know that place. Yeah. But yeah. that's another episode that we're waiting to do, the Elisa Lamb story until we're actually in I get chills, excited chills, just thinking about us sitting in a hotel room. If I could, I'll try to book us the actual room that she was in. I'm literally planning a 2023 trip just for that. Please, please, I will be here. And Creepers, we will go anywhere you request of us, except the Nahani Valley. But (laughs) tune in for another episode of Creep Town, the podcast. We will do it next week. Thank you again for listening. We absolutely adore you. I'll say goodbye to everybody. Bye. Bye, guys.